And welcome back into the fire for this week's episode. I'm back here with my co-hosts, Peter and Thomas. Nice to have you guys with me this morning again. It's a pleasure to be here. It's good to be here. Uh, Well, I'm glad that you're happy to be back. Um, I'm happy to be here with you too. So this morning we're going to be taking a look into the Old Testament. Um, And we'll flip into the New Testament a little bit, but we're going to be looking at two main scriptures here that are actually two scriptures that connect in the Bible in the Old Testament. So the first of which is going to be 1 Samuel 23, and then we'll take an extended look at Psalm 31 as well. And the main lesson that we're trying to take away here is uh, kind of a lesson in peace and trust from our old friend, King David. This will be before he's king, but he'll be eventually king. (laughs) Yeah. Pre-King David. Yes, pre-King David. Anointed King David, but not yet King Ah. David. (laughs) Yep. At this point, he just can't wait to be king. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well said. So these two texts um, we chose for today, they'll give us, I think, some very interesting insight into David's life, um, especially before he was king here. So we'll get to it later, but it's actually interesting because biblical scholars don't ask me exactly how they're able to do this, but they are able to say with at least some level of certainty that 1 Samuel 23 and Psalm 31 connect because David wrote Psalm 31 as the events of 1 Samuel 23 were taking place. Um, So not only do we get to see David's actions in 1 Samuel here, but we get to see kind of what he was feeling in his heart and his mind in Psalm 31. So I think it'll be interesting that we look into that. So we're going to be able to draw a lot about David's response to his situation that we'll find him in here. Um, And ultimately, again, the goal is to learn about the importance of trust and faith in providing us with the true peace and rest that our God provides us with. Um, So essentially we'll break this down into four parts. Um, The first is that we're going to see that peace with God and peace from God is not reliant necessarily on our circumstances Um, number two, we'll see that instead it is reliant on our trust in the Lord. And then we'll take a look in in closing at maybe some reasons that we miss out on this peace in our lives and then close it down with the fact that peace is truly a gift that we are invited to receive from our Lord. And that's where the New Testament will come into play a little bit as we'll flip into Matthew then. Um, But first, Let's go ahead and read 1 Samuel 23. So if you're listening, you've got a Bible with you, I'd suggest you flip there. We're each going to take a section here. We're going to read verses 1 through 20. Um, I'll start with verses 1 through 7. And then Peter, if you can do 8 through 13. And Thomas, verses 14 to 20 to close us down in 1 Samuel. So I'll get started. 1 Samuel 23. Then they told David saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah. For I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, 
fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down, as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver you. So David and his men, about six hundred, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. David stayed in the desert strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life, and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. The Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh on the hill of Hakalah, south of Jeshimon? Now, O king, come down whenever it pleases you to do so, and we will be responsible for handing him over to the king. All right. Well, thank you, both of you. Um, Before we dissect this chapter a little bit, I want to establish some context of what is going on here. Um, in the book of First Samuel. So First Samuel, among other things, tells us a story of David, the king of Israel, here the future king of Israel, before, so before he became king. In First Samuel, we see King Saul, who's mentioned here, become Israel's first king. However, we soon find out that although he was anointed by God as king, he does not necessarily live up to God's direction in his life. Uh, as king, he's foolish, selfish, cowardly, oftentimes ignorant of God, So God supplies Israel with a new king, and that's where David comes into play. Um, I think that you probably learned this story in in Sunday school about how David is anointed. Um, So after David is anointed king, he's described as a man after God's own heart in 1 Samuel 13. Um, He quickly becomes known throughout all of Israel as a leader, a warrior, a musician, and many other things. This includes a story of David and Goliath. So as David starts to accumulate this fame um, and following in Israel, Saul, the current king, starts to view him as a threat. Um, And Saul is eventually told that David has been raised up to be the future king. So now he knows, oh, David's here to take my place. So from 1 Samuel 18 through 31, about the whole second half of this book, we see a very purposeful and vengeful Saul commit kind of to a plan to kill David. And between chapters 18 and 23, Saul tries twice to directly murder him, and David is forced to flee his home in Saul's court and in Israel. 
So then we follow David as he goes from place to place as a fugitive with a group of men. Here we see 600 trying to find refuge of some kind. Um, and Saul finds out eventually where David is and chases him down. And that's where we pick up in 1 Samuel 23. So a lot is going on in David's life. And you can imagine his dismay here. He's been anointed king. He knows that that is in his future. Uh, he knows that great things are in store. But right now he's being hunted down and trying to be killed by the current king. Further, his home of Israel is under attack by the Philistines. So I think we try to put ourselves in David's shoes a little bit. Like, this would be a difficult position to be in, knowing what's in your future, but also having to deal with what's going on in his life right now. He certainly has his hands full. <laughs> he does. And <laughs> Yeah, definitely not. Uh, I mean, just so many events that are going on in his life that, Obviously, there's you can see why he's dismayed, and throughout uh, these chapters eighteen through through here that we're looking at, where Saul's hunting him down, uh, Saul just can't be reasoned with, and Paul's or not Paul, David's really struggling with that, and I mean, obviously they're they're seeking refuge with six hundred men, um, so <laughs> definitely in dire circumstances. Yeah. So this chapter, we get to see David's response a little bit. So let's actually get into dissecting 1 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 20. Some um, Any first observations that you get reading through this chapter, either of you? Um, I really like that David would just constantly go to the Lord whenever he was like, worried or stressed or he, he'd be like all right like what's gonna happen here god please tell me please let me know and he, he, he wouldn't like i guess give in to rumors or whatever but he'd be like okay god is this true and then god would tell him and he would rely on god and everything which is really cool yeah even when he's second guessing god um so in verse verse two, he initially asked, "Shall I go and attack these Philistines?" And he says yes. And then in verse three, he says, "Look, we're afraid to. We're afraid right now. How much more afraid will we be if we go in to Keilah and attack the Philistines?" But even though he's second guessing God, he asks God again, "If this is, if are you sure this is what I want to do?" And then he obeys those orders once being affirmed again by God. So he doesn't give up um, seeking answers from God. Yeah, yeah. I think. Oh no! Go oh, ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I think like a, a a good thing to like look at the life of David, and then you can look at your own life and see is like David is constantly questioning God, and questioning God isn't a bad thing. I I, I don't I don't think it's a bad thing because like when you ask people questions and you listen for answers and you're truly listening for the answers. That's the that's the important second part here. David's listening for answers, but um, you 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 have a conversation with that person, and when you have a conversation with that person, you get to know that person. You get to know that person. Your relationship develops, and so questioning God can be a way for us to further know more about God. And I think it's important that questioning God isn't bad, but it's also important to listen for the answer, and then to trust the answer He gives. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I think that maybe that's partially why David is called a man after God's own heart. He's constantly trying to figure out what 
the heart of the Lord is, what his desire is and what his plans are. Um, and I think this is all part of him trying to discern, you know, what the correct move is. I think you see, I have in verses 2, 4, 10, 11, and 12 here, David asks questions to the Lord, whether it's to clarify or to ask what to do. So at every turn here, he's inquiring of the Lord what the next correct move is um, and making sure that he's following what God is asking of him. Yeah. Yeah, this is ultimately, in my opinion, how we should make decisions and find answers from God is to pray and to be in the word. Um, I don't think searching for like, or going off of a gut feeling or uh, a dream that you had or some sort of secular pragmatism is the best way to uh, find answers on what you should do in life. Um, But instead appealing directly to God, asking him being in his word and being in prayer, um, is is the appropriate way to find um or to make decisions because that's it's you can you know that 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 those answers will be from god and in turn we can trust trust him and find peace and strength in that yeah yeah i think that's that's very well said and david clearly does that here um it's admirable to look up to him because you have to imagine that you know when he asks should I go and save this town Keilah from the Philistines? You'd think that David is kind of with a smaller army. He's undermanned. Um, They're probably tired. They're wandering around in the wilderness, but he sees something that he thinks this is a wrong that needs to be righted. Um, And he inquires of the Lord here once again, shall we go and go into Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? He says, yes. And David does clarify again. He asks and, says, you kind of, are you sure? And it says, yes. And then David doesn't hesitate. You know, he hears what God says. And once he is certain that it is what God wants from him, he does not hesitate to go and save this, this town. And then later on, we see again, the town's going to turn him in. Uh, Saul's going to come and search for him. And he asks, is Saul going to come? The Lord says, yes. And then will the men of Gilad deliver me into Saul's hand? The Lord says, yes, they will. Um, which is probably not fun to hear for David, considering he just essentially saved their lives from a Philistine army. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> so, he, but he doesn't let that disappointment, I think, get in the way. And, you know, he doesn't take revenge on this on this town, or he listens to what the Lord says. And as difficult as it is for him to continue on in hiding in the wilderness, he goes and does that. It's true. Yeah. I have my map here from from Old Testament archaeology, and I'm trying to fi- find out where this is, but I, I'm lacking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think I think I have the wrong <laughs> right now for now. But anyways, that's kind of why I've been so quiet. Well, I've been in those maps before, and it is hard to find out where anything is. So, we're not quite biblical scholars here, but <laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> we're getting there. Week by week. <laughs> All right. Um, what else you guys want to say about twenty-three? I don't know if it's necessarily something that we need to hit on a ton. Um, 
and I wasn't really planning on it, but verses 14 through 20 here, it talks about Jonathan coming back into play, and I wonder what role he plays in allowing David to maintain this kind of resolve and peace amidst the chaos surrounding him. You know, the fact that he has such a close friend here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I figure Jonathan plays a very important role in all this. Yeah, I mean, well, they, right. they made a covenant, right? So, like, they, like, were, like, they they had an agreement. They had, like, the ultimate of handshakes <laughs> here where they're, like, look, you will be king and I will make this happen. And, like, coming from the king's son, that's got to be a, a comforting, like, interaction there. It does. Yeah, I was actually, I was actually um, reading through a, a sermon of from John Piper in 1986 on this passage, and he went into great depth about Jonathan here. Um, so I'd like to share a quick excerpt about that. Uh, so this is from John Piper. He said, "David was a man after God's own heart. He was a great warrior. He was no doubt superior to Jonathan in strength, intelligence, and depth of theological understanding." But verse 16 says that Jonathan went and strengthened his hand in God. Don't ever think that a man is so strong that he does not need to be strengthened in God. And don't ever think that someone is so far above you that you can't be God's instrument to give strength. And so I think these verses with Jonathan in it show the importance of having Christian fellowship and, or, and having uh, other other friends who can encourage you in the Lord uh, as that, I think, is a sign of God answering David's prayers throughout this passage and sending someone into his life to remind him that God is working on behalf of him. I think that's, that's great. And I think this, I mean, the relationship between David and Jonathan could really be probably a whole podcast episode in and of itself. Um, it's, I think it's one of the best examples of friendship that we see in the Bible. Um, and it does make it even more yeah. meaningful that Jonathan is the king's son which would mean that he would be next in line for the throne under, right. you know, a worldly sense. But True. David has been anointed and he is humbly acknowledging that. Um, I mean, Jonathan probably knows that he could be king if David were to die. He would be the king after Saul. Yeah, um, that's true. But here he's reassuring David, you will be king. I will follow you. I'm your friend. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tremendous example of humility. I mean, just thinking if I were in Jonathan's shoes, I think there'd be this tension in my relationship with David. Um, thinking, oh, this guy's going to take over the throne. He's anointed to be king when I'm the heir to the throne. Um, and so to overcome that and to, I mean, and just have this incredible friendship with him um, speaks volumes to his humility. It does. I agree. All right. Well, we want to add anything else to the first Samuel, first Samuel 23 here. I, I all right. Well, we can transition on to, I think what might be, uh, a cooler look at all this, where we get to see inside David's heart a little bit in Psalms. So I think in first Samuel 23, we definitely see that point that, um, our peace and the peace that God provides is not reliant on our circumstances. David, we saw is going through a ton, 
right now. He knows he's supposed to be king. He's been outlawed. So he's got to be questioning to some degree whether that's going to happen. He's being chased down to be killed. His, his land is being attacked. Um, and so his circumstances are out of control. Yet he's going to be able to maintain a sound mind that we're going to see now in Psalm 31. So again, um, scholars can point to Psalm 31 as being written by David while the events of 1 Samuel 23 are going down and he's being pursued by Saul. So I'm going to read here Psalm 31 verses 1 through 8. And then Peter, if you can take 9 through 16. And Thomas closes down with 17 through 24. Well, here we go. Psalm 31. And you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul in adversities and have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a wide place. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I am a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors and am repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel, for I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and make those who perse- and from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me for your mercy's sake. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and lie silent in the grave. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence you hide them from the intrigues of men, and your dwelling you keep them safe from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed his wonderful love to me when I besieged when I when I was in a besieged city. In my alarm I said, I am cut off from your sight, yet you heard me cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Amen. I don't know about you two. I think that is a powerful psalm right there. Oh, yeah. Totally. It's a roller coaster ride of um, a psalm. That it is. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, you can just 
feel all the emotions that he's going through at this time because of all the events that are going on in his life. Um, but yet his conclusion is to call us to love the Lord, which is very powerful. Yeah, it is. And I think you can see the connection yeah. back to the first Samuel 23 at a few spots. I mean, um, let's see, pull me out of the net, which they have secretly laid for me. You can kind of envision him thinking he's falling into a trap. He goes to save the city. So all finds out where he is. They're going to turn him in. That feels like a trap. Um, and then there was one part about him being in a besieged city, correct? Where exactly was that? Uh, yes. That was in like 21. 21. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed his wonderful love uh-huh. to me when I was in a besieged Yeah, so I mean, he was in First Samuel 23 in a besieged city. So you can see where it connects, which is kind of cool. Um, but I think, oh, go ahead. There's um, there's one more connection, which we, we actually didn't read in the beginning. It, it goes on past, yeah. in 23, past verse, verse 20. Um, but... It is described as a rock of the, the rock of escape in twenty three twenty eight. Um, so Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the rock of escape. And then the, in the beginning here, um, you see, since you are my rock and my fortress, or there's that one, and there's I think it's like direct like rock in this in escape in the esv oh no it's still rocking your fortress but it's mm-hmm. called the rock of escape and he he left from the rock to go to a fortress uh, which is like oh direct, i see that yeah that's cool exactly mine says be happened. my rock of refuge yeah um you are my rock and my fortress yeah so, so that yeah could, that could be the rock of escape right? i hadn't noticed that before that's really cool mm-hmm. yeah but I think uh, overall, I think Peter was right. I mean, the Psalms in general, <laughs> some are written in despair, some in hope. And I think praise comfort. I think you see the peaks and valleys of human existence here. And especially when David is writing them because of all that he goes through. Um, and I, th- I think in general, we oftentimes get stress and chaos in our lives can come from insecurity, fear and uncertainty in the world around us. Um, and we see David is feeling that here, but he brings us in this single psalm from a position of lament and fear and suffering and um, and pain to trust and hope. And that transition begins verses 14 and verse 19. Um, you see it too as he ends saying, be strong in your heart, or he shall strengthen your heart, all you hope in the Lord. So, um be of good courage. He, he always comes back to that and he does in this Psalm as well. So I think we see into his heart a little bit here. Mm-hmm. He's really venting his raw yes. emotions, <laughs> his doubts, his frustrations throughout Psalms <laughs> and through it all. I think it's just a great account of how continually communing with communicating with God and even, I mean, just unloading your, these raw emotions uh, is a pathway to finding peace and trust in him. I know that um, sometimes when I sort of have my, have my doubts and my frustrations, I'll feel like I I shouldn't be praying to God or talking to God. Uh, 
because I know that I shouldn't have these frustrations because God is ultimately in control, but I do. Uh, so I think maybe I, I don't really deserve to talk to God. Um, but I think it's more powerful, especially in our walk. If we our walk with Christ, is, if we uh, don't turn away from communicating with God because of those, but we just work them out with God, you know, just be transparent and raw about it. Um, and that shows how that, or, and that'll keep us continually talking with God at all times. And I think that's better than just turning away from God and not talking to him at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right on. <clears throat> David here shows us it's okay to have those, those doubts and those despairs. Um, but again, every, everywhere he says that he has those, he is, he says, you know, adds in, um, but I trust in the Lord, but you have heard my cries, but um, you have redeemed me, Lord of truth. But my times are in your hand. It, it's, he comes back to that. So he knows the truth there, even if he is at times doubting it, which makes sense with everything he's going through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that speaks to just the comfort of the word of God too. If you just like, if you're worrying and you're like, man, this is what I think, but I know this is what I know. This is what the Bible tells me. This is what I can be sure of. Um, it, it allows you to, to take refuge in the word of God and to, to take and to rest in his rock and fortress. For your yeah. Life, you know? And there's a lot of, a lot of yeah. good so. words that David uses here that really show his reliance on God. I think my, the footnotes in my Bible say that, when David talks about trust in verses one um, and then later in verses six and 14, he starts in verse one, the word for trust there um, or the phrase I put my trust, it says pictures the action of a bird seeking refuge under its mother's wings. And then later on Mm -hmm. the word for trust that he uses has the connotation of leaning on someone or something. Um, And then when he says like into your hand, I commit my spirit he is very much in complete reliance on the Lord in all of this. And that's where he draws this resolve and strength and peace from. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we pray, I think even when we do bring our uh, dismays and doubts and stuff to God, I, I think it's a great, a great strategy to, or maybe not strategy, but, a great thing to do is at the end of each prayer say, but God, I trust you, God, I, I will find my refuge in you. Cause we ultimately, like Thomas, he said, even when we think, uh, think, or we have these doubts about God, we do know the truth and that to reaff- just to reaffirm that in ourselves. I think that's, it's a great thing to, to pray, uh, to close those prayers after we express these things with God that, um, we know that God, you are in control of everything and that we'll trust you with it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, any any other thoughts here on Psalm 31? Mm-hmm. I don't think I have any. Yeah, I think yeah, I think we've covered a lot yeah. of great stuff. Okay. Well, we're going to move on. So now we've kind of established that our circumstances don't entirely um, determine the amount of peace we feel in our lives, or at least they shouldn't. David 
or we're not bound. I think biblical peace is not bound to our circumstances. Um, what we see in Psalm 31 instead is that David feels this peace because of a direct result um, of the peace and trust and hope that he has in his Lord. And we learn that very clearly from what's going on with David here. Um, so point number three here, or section number three, um, is more of an open-ended question. So I'll pose it to you guys. Why do you think we don't always feel this peace in our lives? Yeah. It's a tough one. That's a good question. I mean, there are times (laughs) when we don't feel certain fully Uh, at peace. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it goes kind of one in the same with like the presence of God. There are times when we don't feel God's presence, but that doesn't mean that it's not there, Hmm. that he's not still with you. Right. Um, I forget his name, but there's there's a pastor who was imprisoned, I want to say in Turkey, for like a year. Um, dang, I forget his name. He was a missionary. Oh, well. I'll, maybe I'll, I'll find him and I'll bring him up next next episode. But his whole like thing that he was searching for when he was like, he was going into other countries and like, he was very focused on like feeling the presence of God. And like, if you're feeling the presence of God, you're doing things right. Um, but all throughout his imprisonment, he just, he did not feel the presence of God throughout any of that time. And so he was in such despair and just lament during that, that, that awful period in his life. Cause you know, you're in a, you're in a Turkish prison and that's not good. Um, but, he he he's got out of it and he, he said through it all like the biggest thing for him or one of the biggest things was that he learned to like he, he he learned that just because you don't feel the presence of god doesn't mean god is not sitting right next to you in that moment uh or living inside your heart because because he is he is there even if you can't feel him and like the god and that that in and of itself is a thing that gives you a semblance of peace. Um, just knowing that God is there and he hasn't abandoned you no matter what, because he won't abandon you. It might feel like he does. It might feel like you're not at peace and the whole world is up in turmoil. And like, where's God? Where, where's my peace? I can't relax. What is happening? Um, God's, God's right there with you. And He's feeling the same things you're feeling, or rather, like Jesus and the Holy Spirit who are in your heart, uh, they feel the same emotions that you feel. That's why they can go to God and they they intercede for us at the right hand of God because they're like, "Look, this is what He's feeling," and they tell that to Him. Um, and and that's that's a peaceful thing right there as well. But just because you because you're not you don't feel at peace twenty four seven doesn't mean that God isn't with you. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's really well said. And that's a great example of um, just being persistent um, in your faith. Um, mm-hmm. Even when you don't necessarily feel the presence of God with you, knowing that he's still there, knowing that, yes, you've accepted Jesus into your heart and the Holy Spirit is working within you. Being persistent, um, even when you don't, necessarily feel that uh it's i think that's 
Um, oh, that, that, I don't know, that just, I'm sort of at a loss <laughs> of words there. But, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's just a great example and for for me, and that's pressing for me and to live out my life like that too. And I've also noticed that personally, there is a correlation I've found to when I'm not consistently in, in prayer or reading the Bible. Uh, there's a correlation with that and the times when I'm not at peace or the times when I'm most anxious. So I think a good solution of to um, maintaining that peace in God is to stay on a consistent schedule of prayer and reading the Bible. Yeah, I think yeah, that I for me, Peter, points to you know, one of my answers for this question, you know, why don't we always feel this peace? It's that we kind of have this skewered relationship with God. And then maybe a sign of that is if we're not in the Bible a lot or we're not in prayer a lot. Um, But it's kind of where we are sitting on the throne of our own lives rather than allowing God to be on that throne. And we talked about the throne last Mm. week. So um, if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to that podcast first, I guess. Um, (laughs) But I think sometimes believers even when they have full faith, confidence, and they still believe in God, they still try to put their own interests and desires ahead of his, um, which can lead to that kind of uneasy feeling that we get if we're not fully surrendered to God. Um, And that would be an absence of peace, I think, that uneasiness, an unsettling feeling where we know that we are not allowing God to sit on the throne of our lives, but it's, you know, I'm a naturally selfish person. It's, it's being human. (laughs) It's easy to try to put myself on the throne of my own life. And I think when I do that, that's when I get away from that peace that he provides. Mm -hmm. The study does connect well with those last two podcasts that we've, (laughs) that we've done. You saw in revelation, uh, Jesus sitting in the throne room of heaven over all the universe. Um, and so if he's Lord of all, he should also be the Lord of our lives. And then with Ecclesiastes, it's important that we constantly remind ourselves of the, this over the sun reality mm-hmm. of where Jesus is on this throne um, so that we can see the greater purpose in everything. And that God is in control of everything, even when the circumstances of our life can at times when we don't see this over the sun reality seem um, sort of pointless and, and endless, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think all of our podcasts will in some way connect to each other. So I like, I like those draws, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, that might just be a result. <laughs> yes, it is. The Bible. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it's a story of God, his mercy and, and Christ and our salvation and all, everything's going to point to that. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of fun. <laughs> this is great. I love this. Um, I would also add here that I think another reason that people in this world don't always feel peace, and I think for the three of us, maybe this is not at this point necessarily true. It was in the past, I'm sure, but I don't know if we get any listeners to this podcast. Um, but it's important to recognize that maybe we don't feel peace Because, not because we don't have a skewed relationship with God, but for some people, maybe you don't have any relationship with him. Um, And so if that's the case, it's important to to get that right. And I think that will transition us 
if we are good to move along here into the last section of this, which is where we receive a direct invitation to this piece. Um, and I'll flip back here. I'll go ahead and read this in Matthew. So we're going to read Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, just a few verses here, but something that gets to the heart of everything that we've discussed and connects it kind of with what Jesus offers us. So Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is, uh, yeah, that's love that verse. just a few verses there that I think is, it's short, it's sweet, but it has to be one of the most beautiful passages in the whole Bible, um, where we are directly invited sure. by Jesus to receive this peace and this rest that I think everyone longs for. Yeah. Yeah. And it's peace that only... I mean, it's, it's such a unique type of piece. You can't get this piece from anywhere else. Um, I also want to pull up John fourteen twenty seven, where Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Which shows that Jesus is offering this, this peace in by means of uh, the salvation that he offers, this free gift of, this free gift of, salvation um just a tremendous grace that uh jesus provides um also provides through that tremendous peace that the world cannot give you yeah and to piggyback off that um because the lord's peace is not of this world um we shouldn't be looking for it to look like peace in this world either um, we might be at peace in times where we're like, this is not peaceful, right? Um, or we might, or maybe God's peace is simply like knowing your next step in life, even though like you're super stressed and nervous about things, which is fine. It's not necessarily like the, the Buddha sitting on his little tree stump, mm. like meditating, right? Like that's, that's like the worldly peace that we have peace is in we have no worries we have no anything but i think the peace that comes from god is that we don't worry about the world mm -hmm. because we know god will provide in the future no matter how awful things seem to be yeah. right now um and then to kind of piggyback off that right after john 14 john <laughs> really 15, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> crazy i know <laughs> um it says i am the vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit uh further along if you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples as the father has loved me. So I have loved you abide in my love. Um, and I think one way that we can kind of like seek God for this peace is 
abiding in him, abiding in his word and being with him. And as we abide in his love, because he has loved us, he, he, he will fill us with the joy of the Holy Spirit and we will be able to love those around us even better. And, and that's a peaceful thing because we're in this world to, to really work on people's hearts with love and that love comes from God. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And Amen. I just want to reiterate, cause I feel it's imp- I, right now. I feel it is important to say it. Um, it's on my heart at least, uh, you know, I don't know if you're, if anyone listening to this podcast doesn't have that relationship with Christ, with God. Um, at this point, I doubt it, but Hey, maybe you never know who's going to listen to this thing. Um, mm-hmm. but, but, the world around Agreed. us is in the future. You know, maybe the coronavirus is out there and there's a lot of bad things going on. And maybe personal life is, is in shambles and is in pieces. Um, well, I think you can look at what we read today and see how there's an answer for all of that. Um, and you're not feeling this peace maybe, but know that as we read in second Samuel and first Psalms, the circumstances of your life and the circumstances of this world are not what, defines you or at least not what should define you um in matthew 11 what we just read and in matthew 14 and 15 we see that there is a path to that peace and we are directly invited jesus says here come to me all who will labor and are and heavy laden and i will give you rest um and he is asking us to lay our burdens upon him for he can handle it. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is able to take those and turn those into a peace um, and into the love that you two hit on in, in John 14, 15. Um, and he is able to do far more than you could imagine. Um, so I think that's it's just a beautiful thing that we see in, in Matthew here to bring it full circle to the gospel. Jesus asks us, all he asks is come and receive this, which is just amazing. It's a gift. And through that gift, we can find this tremendous peace no matter what we're going through. And I just want to look at later in Psalms, David says something which I, I think is just awesome. He says, nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou dost hold my right hand. Thou dost guide me with the counsel, and afterward, thou wilt receive me to glory. So we see that the peace that David achieved in the end stands upon this confidence that his own eternal life was safe in the hands of God. And so if we're um, feeling any sort of uh, resemblance in our struggles in life throughout this COVID crisis and even outside of that, any resemblance of that to what David is going through, just know that you can find peace through having this eternal security in heaven by way of just accepting this free gift of grace that all Jesus asks is for us to receive it. Yes, sir. I like that a lot. I like the end of that, what you just read out of Psalms and afterward, that will receive me to glory. Um, The end goal of all of it there, you know, Mm -hmm. what's ultimately going to happen at the end of this, if we put our trust in him. The end game. Yeah.
Mm-hmm. It is. So special. It is <laughs> one of a kind. And free. And, and free. easy <laughs> to attain. You know, he's, it's freely offered. So, yeah. Well, I think yeah. that about covers everything then. <laughs> it's a, a good a good note to end it on, I, I would say. I think so, too. All right. Well, unless you guys have anything to add, I'll say a real quick prayer and we can close down. All right. Awesome. Sounds good. Lord God, I thank you for another episode of this podcast and for joining us in the fire once again. Um, I thank you for Peter and Thomas and their willingness to do this as well. I thank you for the scriptures that we read today and the example that they can give to us, God, of of kind of a twofold way of um, looking at this. One where we know that These circumstances of our lives do not define us. And God, if we are following you, we know that you will provide for us. And I pray we would look to you as David looked to you in in Psalms and in 1 Samuel. And I also pray uh, for, again, if anyone's listening and they don't know you, or even if they're not listening and they don't know you, God, that you would open the eyes of those around us to you who are feeling the stress and the weight of this world fall on them and are seeking this peace that we all long for. I pray you would open their hearts to to what you have to say and and draw them towards you um, in the gifts that you so freely offer us. And I thank you for this podcast and these great guys to do it with. Um, In your name, amen. All right. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, like, subscribe, share. (laughs) Anything you want to (laughs) do. Yep. Thank you a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> muchas gracias alright well that was it for today a lesson in peace and trust from David and uh, we'll say goodbye to these two co-hosts here and we'll see you next week sounds good All right. thank you thanks guys goodbye thank you <laughs> bye